0: In our last episode, we began our look at the case presented by Kyle Rittenhouse's defense team and their direct examination of Nicholas Smith, an associate of Rittenhouse on the night of August 25th, 2020. On today's episode, we wrap up the defense's direct and move on to the cross-examination of Nick Smith conducted by Prosecutor Thomas Binger. That's all coming up right after the break. In our last episode, we heard testimony from Kyle Rittenhouse associate Nicholas Smith. Smith, a former employee of the CarSource businesses where many of the key events surrounding the August 25th shootings took place, offered a vastly different narrative than was presented in the testimonies of the Kindry brothers, the sons of the CarSource business owners. The Kindry brothers denied having much to do with Smith and little awareness of his activities on August 24th and 25th. Smith, on the other hand, asserted that he was invited to protect the car source properties by the Kindry family and that they expressed gratitude for his service. He also described when he first encountered Kyle Rittenhouse on August 25th. We pick up the witness's testimony as, prompted by defense attorney Corey Shiroffesi, Smith describes leaving the 63rd Street car source store. Among the people with him as he left was the defendant.
2: After that, we'd made our uh, we'd walk down to 59th Street location to meet up with Austin, Justin, and Colin.
3: And when you get to the 59th Street location,
2: uh, who's with you? Um, Ryan Belch, two of his friends. It was either two or three of his friends: uh, Colin, Dominic, Kyle, Justin, and Austin.
3: And are there, for lack of a better term, kind of uh, locations that people are going to kind of be at for the night? Correct. And what is your what is your location going to be? The roof. And if only if you know, do you know what Kyle's location is going to be?
2: Did not state where he was going to be.
3: I'll ask it to you this way: Was he on the roof with you? No.
0: Smith next describes taking his position on the roof of the 59th Street Car Doctor building.
3: While you're on the roof, um, does anything happen to you?
2: Uh, Yes, our group, we get uh, chemical bombed from the protesters.
3: And when you say chemical bombed, can you just explain kind of what you believe that means?
2: Um, I believe it was an ammonia bleach bomb they, they made inside of a plastic bottle and threw it up on the roof. Now, to be fair, you didn't see who did that, right? No, I did not see who did that.
3: And anything else that was happening to you while you were on the roof other than the ammonium?
2: Bricks. They were throwing bricks at us.
3: And again, to be fair, you're not sure who that was? No, I am not. You um, might not have known that night, but there was a gentleman there by the name of uh, Joseph Rosenbaum. Correct. That night, did you see him?
2: No, I did not. I was not paying attention.
3: So there was uh, no contact between you and Mr. Rosenbaum? No, there was not. Did you see um, Mr. Mr. Rittenhouse that evening? Yes, I did. And can you describe uh, what, if anything, you noticed that he was doing? I uh, was standing in the parking lot. Okay. There's been testimony about him repeatedly yelling, medic, 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 throughout the evening. Did you ever see him do anything uh, as it relates to being a medic? Um, I do not know I was not paying attention. Okay. Do you have any medical training?
2: Some. Okay.
3: And can you just briefly tell us a little bit about your medical training?
2: My brother who was in the infantry, was in the infantry in the Marine Corps, had taught me uh, CLS, Combat Life Saving. And taught me briefly on what to do with gunshot wounds, uh, lacerations, and things like that.
3: Was there any, at any point that evening, sir, did you become armed? Yes, I did. And when was
2: that? When the police had pushed the first crowd down Sheridan Road, uh, Ryan Belch handed me off his pistol and said, just in case.
3: And did you feel at that point that it was necessary or not?
2: Yes and no. Okay. Yes, because there was a massive amount of people, I would say anywhere between 150 to 250 people. No, because I didn't see any need to have any non-lethal.
3: Was your location a factor in that at all?
2: Yes, it was. I was on the ground at that point. Did you then move back up to the roof? I had not moved up to the roof yet. That was when I had moved up to the roof. When the crowd had pushed towards us, the people that were going to be on the roof had, at that time, figured this is a good time to go on the roof because the crowd had dissipated and pushed themselves back towards the courthouse and that's when we went on the roof.
3: And when you're on the roof, do you see Kyle Rittenhouse at any point after you go
2: back up on the roof? On the roof a couple times throughout the night I see him walking around.
3: If this is fair, has he left your location and is he moving from location to location? Correct. At some point that evening then, do you hear what you believe to be gunshots? That is correct. All right. And when you hear those, where are
2: you? I am on the roof.
3: And so to be fair, you don't see what had happened, is that right? No, I do not. And there has been testimony regarding two instances, one involving Mr. Rosenbaum, the other involving Mr. Huber uh, and Mr. Grosskreutz. Do you see either one of those happenings? No, I do not. When you hear the shooting, do you get off the roof?
2: I get off the roof uh, because Dominic had received a phone call at the time I had not known we'd received a phone call from. And he had stated that we have to leave, it is getting uh, hectic. And the prior events that just occurred, gunshots, um, we all concluded that that was safe, bet. that it was getting crazy. So we'd all, everybody that was on the roof had now got off the roof.
0: Then Shirovsky asks the witness whether he reconnected with Rittenhouse sometime after the shootings.
3: So when you get off the roof, do you see Kyle Rittenhouse? Yes, I do. And where do you see him?
2: Inside the shops and down.
3: And how does he look to you?
2: Um, Sweating, pale. Does he say anything? Uh, He repeats, uh, I just shot someone over and over. And I believe at some point he did say he had to shoot someone. What happens then? I tell him to walk outside and turn himself in. That was a safe bet for him. And I told him to walk outside and he had said I had to. I had to shoot someone. And at that point I'd left the location because I was in fear that the protesters were going to come to that location.
1: Specialist to find out if it's right for you.
0: Shirofficy then turns the witness over to Prosecutor Thomas Binger for cross-examination. Binger begins by apparently trying to call attention to Nicholas Smith's criminal past as a juvenile, but Judge Bruce Schrader is having none of that.
4: Mr. Smith, you have actually two juvenile adjudications for uh, violations of the law,
2: correct? I believe so. Yes.
4: On April thirtieth, two thousand. No, 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 no. uh, his answer was, "I might." He didn't
0: answer. I, that. I, I don't think we conducted the usual discussion prior, and uh, we did. And um, I explicitly said two. And I don't know what happened, but. The matter is covered. Move on to something else. Binger then proceeds to lead Smith through a recap of the events on August 24 and August 25 that served to clarify or confirm the witness's narrative. Nothing the prosecutor asks seems to undermine any of Smith's testimony on direct.
4: You indicated that on the night of August 24th, you were helping to put out fires. Is that right? That is correct. Was that at the car doctor location? Yes, it was. Where were the fires? In the parking lot right next to it. Were they cars that were on fire? Yes, they were. Not the building itself? No. And you said that on that particular night, none of the owners of the company were physically there helping to put out the fires. Is that right? Yes, it is. So they were relying on you and and other folks to do their work for them? Correct. Similarly, the next day when you spoke to Sam or Sal or both of them, the plan was you were going to guard the property or be there at the property, and those owners weren't going to be there anymore,
2: right? That is correct.
4: They were going to pay you a couple hundred dollars? That that is correct. And you never got any of that money?
2: No, I did not.
0: The tactical purpose of Binger's line of questioning here is truly mystifying.
4: You indicated that your personal plan at the car doctor location, was to spend the time up on the roof. Is that right? That is right. And you didn't feel you needed a gun up on the roof. Is that right? That is correct. I did not. How were you going to protect the building from the roof?
2: I had multiple other friends there with uh, rifles.
4: So they were the ones? Correct. Who were going to be protecting it with their rifles? Correct.
2: I was providing overwatch. What does that mean? I was watching the building over... I was watching the building from the roof, making sure that nobody went inside or damaged the property. Uh, the building, the cars were burned, so we didn't care about the cars.
4: So whatever cars were left on that lot were a lost cause. All of them. You were worried about the structure. Correct. That entire night, there was no damage to that, that is structure. That's correct. No fire, correct? Correct. No stolen machinery or equipment, correct? Correct you said that you didn't see any reason why you would need to confront anyone with a gun that night. Is that correct? That is correct. Is that because you didn't feel that using a gun to protect a building was appropriate?
2: Yes and no. Um, It was appropriate in the needs when the situation would arise, but at the moment throughout the nights that I had previously seen was not required.
0: Binger finally seems to have found an area of inquiry that he can use to differentiate between the witness's sentiments and the actions of the defendant.
4: What sort of situation would arise with regard to that car doctor building where you would feel it would, would have been appropriate to use a gun?
0: His judgment, what he would consider appropriate for him might be a a different judgment than another person could lawfully reach.
4: Was there ever a time on the night of August 25th where you saw a situation with regard to the car doctor building that you felt it was necessary to use a gun? No.
0: Binger then pivots to focus on the witness's testimony about the events after the shootings.
4: You indicated that after you heard the shootings, the defendant came back, you described what he looked like, and you said he had said he just shot someone and that he had to, correct? Correct. Did he ever say who he shot? No, he did not. Did he ever say how many people he shot? I do not remember. Did he ever say anything about the, the condition, like whether those people were armed?
2: Uh, he did not say anything about them being armed. Did he ever say that they threatened him? I do not remember.
4: Did he ever say he feared for his life? Do not remember. Did he ever say anything about any weapons that he saw on any of the people that he shot? No, I do not remember. And he didn't tell you how many people he shot either? No.
0: Binger then references the end of Smith's direct testimony.
4: I was a little confused by the end of your testimony because on one, in one statement you said you told him to go outside and turn himself in, correct? Correct. But in another statement you said... You left because you were fearful the protesters were coming to that location.
2: I left after I told them that.
4: So help me understand, if the protesters are coming, you assume these protesters were coming to harm you or the defendant or members of your group, right? Correct. If you didn't know how many people the defendant had shot and you didn't know who they were, why did you assume it was the protesters that were going to be upset with the defendant at that moment? I do not know. You told someone else in your group, Joanne Fiedler, that the police were coming to the building, didn't you? I do not remember. So you never came back to that location and told Ms. Fiedler that the police were coming to the building. Is that correct?
2: I do not remember. I mean, it's been over a year, so I do not remember.
4: Obviously, if you think the defendant should have turned himself into the police at that moment and the police were coming to that building you would have wanted him to stay there, correct? Correct.
0: On redirect, Corey Shirovacy seeks to rebut the prosecution's efforts to differentiate between the witness's sentiments about firearms and the actions of the defendant.
3: Mr. Binger had asked you if there was ever ever a time that night at the car doctor that you felt it was appropriate or necessary that firearms would be used. Do you remember that? Yes. At any point uh, on the 25th, were you ever at the car doctor, were you ever attacked? I was not. Did anybody ever threaten to kill you at that location?
2: I do not recall, no.
3: Did anybody threaten to kill you to your face, meaning they walked up to you and said, I'm gonna kill you? No. Did anybody chase after you then?
2: No.
0: And with that, Nicholas Smith is excused as a witness, and we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us next week as we continue our look at the case presented by the defense and tune in tomorrow for our weekly recap with Abby Smith.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-buttershrimp scampi. Mm. hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.